For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. No, that is not a faux pas. October 3rd, 1961 was a Tuesday night, and the Dick Van Dyke premiered for the first time. And that's what we're going to be celebrating tonight. Welcome to the show. If this is your first time here, I hope it will not be your last. I hope you have a great time. This show is all about celebrating, celebrating life, celebrating art. And tonight we're going to look back, but we're going to celebrate one of the most iconic shows on television. And to start, I'm going to show you a little uh, documentary. Uh, well, not the full documentary, but a trailer of a documentary that I saw last night. And we're going to talk about the documentary to start with. So here it is. And then we'll talk on the other side. When people ask me what am I most proud of, but I think the Dick Van Dyke show would be. I was writing about what I knew about the home life of somebody who worked on television. That show has meant a lot to me and to a lot of people. We knew we had something good. Nobody thought it would wind up being a classic like it is. Everyone was a treasured week working with the production people and the prop people to say nothing of the actors. We were a real family. That was a lucky break for me being with such talented people. They were just great. It sounds kind of cliche to say we were like a happy family, but we really were. The television viewing public has come to recognize that this is an exceptional group of talent. They're still the finest, funniest five years of my life. David Van Dusen, you created that incredible documentary. I did. Thank you very much for having me on, Richard. It's uh, one of the great things I love to talk about is the Dick Van Dyke show. Well, last night I sat back and I watched this show. I, I'm a huge fan of the Dick Van Dyke show. Let's start there. And it was just so much fun to watch this. And God bless you. You had the opportunity to interview uh, many of the players. And it was fun to see a few of my friends on the show as well. Jackie Joseph was there, who appeared in various disguises on the Dick Van Dyke show. Right. right. Uh, and uh, also, uh, Rosemarie, uh, I got the opportunity uh, to interview Rosemarie on her 90th birthday, uh, Sharp as Attack. And what an amazing story she had uh, and still has because she her documentary is still out there. Right. Uh, I don't believe that any of these people pass on. Uh, thanks to... Uh, TV Land. Uh, does TV Land even exist anymore? Is it still called TV Land? I, I think so, yeah. They're still there. But you're right. The, the show still lives on on various platforms, on Amazon and Decades and VTV and others. Um, and are, aren't we lucky that it does? Now, one of the things that I loved also that I want to begin by saying, you know, we, we do giveaways on the show. And uh, I've been very, very fortunate. Some people have made donations to me. But tonight, uh, instead of making any donations to me, anyone, if you enjoy this show, either tonight or on the reruns, because this will be out there, uh, I'm asking if you could possibly please make a donation to St. Jude. Um, I'll begin there. Why did you choose St. Jude for your charity of choice? And it was great that you chose them. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the founding members of the show was was Danny Thomas, along with Sheldon Leonard and Carl and, and Dick. And as I started to put this project together, I thought what would be a very nice way that we could give a tip of the hat to those who created and formed the show that continues to entertain us now some 60, 61 years later. And I thought, you know, Danny's um, was the sort of the money partner of, of, the, uh, of the show, if you will. But I thought, what a great hospital and charity he has created, right, for the betterment of, of children who are ill. So I, I just nicely suggest during the documentary every once in a while to remind folks, um, if you're fortunate enough to have your good health and you've enjoyed the Dick Van Dyke show, why not make a donation to St. Jude? And what a tremendous tribute and tip of the hat that, that would be to our Dick Van Dyke show family. 
And I do want to let everyone know that the documentary is available on YouTube. So after tonight's show, please go and watch it. Uh, why the Dick Van Dyke show for you? Well, uh, it's sort of, you, you never know where fate takes you, I guess. Interestingly, um, I was born the day after Carl Reiner's original Head of the Family pilot aired. That was July 19th, 1960. I was born on July 20, 1960. So I, I don't know if there was kismet there or, or fate or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, I was only one when the show originally aired. So obviously I must have started seeing it when it was in syndication um, in the, in the late 1960s. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I was always intrigued and fascinated simply by Dick's amazing ability, his, his ability to be like rubber. And right and mm-hmm. and bend and shape in, in so many different ways, right? Um, but I think I, I also always enjoyed the uh, musical production numbers, the the things that Rosemary and Maury would do, and the song and dance numbers that that Mary would do. Uh, you know, um, so I, I was always intrigued, and I just found that the show held up, right? It it didn't really become dated and i think as as we explore in the documentary it was really because of the genius of reiner who made the comedy be about the situations that you know if you think about it there's a rare joke told on the dick van dyke show the humor which is, i love uh, yeah, you're absolutely right and i'm glad you mentioned in the that. situations now every once in a while in the writer's room maury would tell a joke but it was part of the storyline it wasn't there to to try to be a joke and make you laugh, right? So um, it was those situations and the fact that Carl wrote so well to the roles that he had created, those those actors, that they, they all said, you know, we feel like we're just being ourselves. Um, and I think because of the fact that it was situational, even today, you know, I, I get up in the morning and hop on the treadmill and pop in an episode of The Van Dyke Show, and I've seen the episodes, you know, how many times I can't even count, but, and I know it's coming, but you still laugh. You're still amused. There is still humor. It's, it's the look that Rob gives Laura or the look that, that, that Laura does, right. Or, or the banter between uh, Buddy and Mal in in the office, all all of those things. Um, Many of those looks are so subtle, but we, we all can, we all can relate, you know, and they're about the situations um, that you experience in life, something going on with your kid in school, something between a relationship, you know, a co-worker's comment, uh, uh, something happening with your neighbor. All, all the situations still are relatable all these years later. Now, this was one of the first, I think this was the first episode, I mean, the first series. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this. You of all people would know. But uh wasn't this the first show where we actually saw the lead character in both aspects of his life, both in the workforce and at home? Right. I think, you know, Carl um, thought, you know, typically the sh- a sitcom would start with, hi, honey, I'm home. But you didn't really ever find out very much about what the, what the dad did for work. So it was a, a very unique entree, I think, into the television sitcom world because you saw a lot of what the dad did, right? Um, and, um, you know, you could really have two storylines. You know, you could see see both parts of that. And I think that, that was also relatable, too, in terms of some of the banter that would go on in the workplace. People could also relate to. Now, do you have a favorite episode? I do. Uh, mine is the... Episode 51 for fans of the show. That would be, it may look like a walnut. Uh, (laughs) You know. uh, I'm laughing already. Yes. I I still, after so many years, you know, I still have my sense of humor and my thumbs. Um, And, and, you know, I did for 20 years, actually publish a newsletter about the show uh, that I, that I sort of took from that episode. I called it the walnut times. And, and that was from 1995 to 2015. And again, we would talk with the cast members from the show, the crew members, guest stars. And I think 
you know, just continue to keep the memory of the show alive. And uh, it was very rewarding for me to have Carl really endorse that as well as so many uh, others from the show. Now, you have immersed yourself into this series like no one else. Uh, what surprised you the most uh, that you learned about the series from creating this incredible documentary? Um, you know, one of the things that I think was extremely impressive was um, I sought out and found, as you, as you mentioned, Jackie Joseph. So Jackie uh, was among, you know, several different roles that she played on episodes but I found nine other guest stars, folks like Jamie Farr and Bernie Coppell and Michael Forrest and Sylvia Lewis. I mean, there's, you know, 10, 10 folks. Um, what, what I thought was so nice to hear was the fact that all of those people in their own right have quite nice careers. Um, most of them said the, the jewel on their resume was that appearance that they can list of being on the Dick Van Dyke show and memorable for each of them because they said what a uh, collaborative environment that Carl and Dick established on the set, right? It was always about making the show the best that it could be. And unlike other sitcoms or appearances that they'd made where sometimes they were made to feel like an outsider it was entirely different on the set of the Van Dyke show where they were really welcomed into the fold, encouraged to contribute, encouraged to collaborate and really felt welcome on that set. Um, and many of the ideas that they contributed ended up re remaining in the show. So I thought that was quite an interesting insight um, in terms of what other sitcoms and other appearances were like for, for many of these actors and actresses in their own careers. Now, there are a couple of things that came away from me that I, I, I did not realize that they had actually, even though they didn't change anything except for the opening credits, that there was a daytime version of the Dick Van Dyke show. So in the late in the late 60s, they began to air the, the show in the morning hours. Right. And yes. And they rebranded it the Dick Van Dyke daytime show. And I think perhaps that's where maybe as a as a young child, I first became exposed to it. I mm -hmm. I don't quite remember. Um, but. Yes, the show, you know, had, had its life from 61 to 66, and it continues today in 2022. Now, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, uh, but uh, I would like you to sing the theme song, because <clears throat> I discovered that there were actual lyrics to the song. <laughs> well, there are. So let me just give a little. So, Or should I bring on the two other guests and have the three of you sing it together? Well, I, I, I don't know. They're we, nodding or shaking their heads. We, 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 <laughs> Well, well, <laughs> um, you know, Earl Hagen, uh, masterful composer, wrote Dick Van Dyke show theme, Andy Griffith theme, That Girl, Mod Squad, I Spy, you know, you know Gomer Pyle. Um, and the, the Dick Van Dyke show theme was truly written as an instrumental theme. Years later, it was discovered that after the show had finished its network run, that Maury Amsterdam had written lyrics um, to the theme song. And they go like this. So you think that you've got trouble? Well, trouble's a bubble. So tell old Mr. Trouble to get lost. Why not hold your head up high and start crying, stop trying, and don't forget to keep your fingers crossed. When you find the joy of living is loving and giving, You'll be there when the winning dice are tossed. A smile is just a frown that's turned upside down. So smile and that frown will defrost. And don't forget to keep your fingers crossed. So that's incredible. Thank you for yes. doing that. <laughs> well, that's, that's fine. And, and what happened was in about the year 2000 or so, I was visiting with Dick Van Dyke on the set of Diagnosis Murder. And he said to me, you know, I'm trying to start a barbershop quartet, but he said, I put it in the paper and I got I got no feedback. And I said, well, you obviously didn't say it was to sing with Dick Van Dyke. And he said, well, no. Right. So um, 2000 was the year of Dick's 75th birthday. So I got in touch with Earl Hagen, um, who had become a friend and said, you know, Dick, or, you know, Earl Morey wrote words to the to your theme. And he said, no, I had no idea about that. And I said, well, he did. 
and I'd like to write a barbershop quartet arrangement for Dick for his birthday. And I said, would you give me permission to do it? And he said, Cer certainly I would. So um, I wrote a four-part barbershop quartet arrangement of the theme with Earl's theme and Maury's words and, and gave it to Dick. And at that point, Dick was getting around the piano with some insurance friends who were barbershop quartet singers, and they sang through the song. Well, not long thereafter, three younger guys approached Dick and said, we hear you enjoy singing. It was the, it was the birth of Dick's quartet called the Vantastics. Um, and among many other songs that they sang, they began to sing the Dick Van Dyke Show theme uh, arrangement. Um, that I had given to Dick on his 70th birthday. So you can, folks can go out to YouTube and, and they'll see clips of Dick and his three young guys saying that. And still to this day, when they make appearances, which have been slowed by COVID, of course, um, that's, that's one of the, the fan favorites. So that's incredible. Well, I want to show another clip and then we're going to bring our next guest on. So All right. a couple of guests in the wings, everyone. So stick around. And again, if you can make a donation to St. Jude Children's Hospital, uh, we both will appreciate it. And I'm making a donation myself. So here we are. Uh, and this is another clip. David Van Dusen, I am beholden to you for keeping the memory and the life of the Dick Van Dyke Show alive single-handedly. It is my favorite thing that I've done in my whole life. And I want it out there for as long as I'm here. And after I'm here, I'm 86, so I, I'm hoping it goes on until I'm 94, and the, or even past that. Thank you for everything you've done to keep this show buzzing. Well, you certainly succeeded, and we have Douglas Denoff on the screen. There you are, Doug. How are you? Good evening, Richard. Hello, my friend David Van Dusen. Oh, there, Douglas. Good to see you. Richard, you are my friend, too. Let me clarify. Well, 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 thank you. I appreciate that. And Doug, your father, of course, uh, the incredible Sam Denoff, uh, producer, screen, uh, screenwriter. Um, what are your earliest memories of the Dick Van Dyke show? As son of Sam. As uh, son of Sam. New Yorkers will get it. <laughs> well, it was a great place to grow up. It wasn't really the first office of dads that I got to visit uh, when I wasn't in school. But... Um, it was the place I think I have some of the fondest memories because I was older, um, six, seven, eight years old by that point, and um, was starting to get into what went on behind the scenes and the cameras and the sound and all of that. Um, and just kind of seeing my dad in a place where it was a very collaborative um environment and to this day now as a Broadway producer it's what I enjoy most is that same sort of family of you know what what Carl and Sheldon and Danny Thomas did in being the producers of the show was make everybody part of their family and of course the pilot was called head of the family but mm -hmm. um, it extended to the way sitcoms work and I know from Lucy Arnaz that her parents were that way on their show but this was a lovely thing and so you know got to go hang out with dad and watch the rehearsals and then you know go through on show night you know getting dressed up doing all that was great and I, I learned quite a lot um, that informed me today how to edit film I edited learned how to edit film from Bud Molin who edited the Dick Van Dyke show and before that I love Lucy film plastic stuff with holes in it um but you know the 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 nuance of that i just it was it was a lovely time and of course you know the episodes that dad and and persky wrote are i think all of the show episodes are beloved but they are some amazingly enough along with a few from klein schmidt and gary marshall and jerry belson um some of the most talked about over the years and so that's kind of cool. You know? Well, I want to talk about that for just a moment. These shows still hold up so tremendously in today's world. Um, you know, each show is, you know, its own entity into itself. They each stands on its own. But having the opportunity like you did of seeing it go from basically page to uh, rehearsal to the filmed product, was there ever one that just did not make it to the final product because for some reason it just didn't work. I wasn't yeah. involved in it that that long, but if if I can, Richard, I'd like to 
continue something that David was saying, which is, you know, Carl was very insistent that as with most good sitcom writers, write what you know, write what happens at home. Even if you're writing a novel, write your life. And life is funny enough. Mm -hmm. And some of us remember Art Linkletter's show, Kids Say the Darndest Things, because kids do say the darndest things without some 40-year-old writer writing that, you know, Richie Petrie talks smart aleck like a 45-year-old man, and that's funny. It's not funny. And it doesn't hold up. And the other thing that Carl always said was, don't write anything too current. You know, don't write about what's going on in politics or in the social world or even in civil rights, which passively got <laughs> dealt with in Dad and Billy's first episode, That's My Boy. Um, so that's why 60 years on, the Dick Van Dyke show is not out of date in any way. And um, after the show, a few years, CBS did a special called Dick Van Dyke and the Other Woman with Dick and Mary. And it was actually the the special that convinced CBS to give Mary Tyler Moore her own series. And there's a song and dance number in it called Life is Like a Situation Comedy. Mm -hmm. And the lyrics are basically life is like a situation comedy, a series of incidents that happen every day. Life is like a situation comedy, the trivial things that make your hair start turning gray, if you have hair. Um, <laughs> and I think that's another reason why it works. So, you know, I don't really, you know, I wasn't involved for the whole week from table read through to script to know any that don't work. David probably knows from his countless conversations with all the creatives, um, ones that sort of were done, but didn't quite click as well. I don't, Dave, are there any that you, I think, you know, and I can't, I, I don't know that we can name the one that is, but I think I've, I read an interview where I've seen Dick describe that there was one show that by the time they got done, everybody sort of looked at each other and said, yeah, no. And that went the way of the wind and was never heard from again. Right. But but I think, you know, as you as you know, Douglas, right, I think they, they started it out. And many times what started at the beginning of the week, you know, underwent quite a metamorphosis over the course of the week. Right. Yeah. Um, and and evolved into everybody's creative juices flowing. So, yeah, um, we can take four, five, ten years to create a musical. They did this in one week. Mm. Exactly. Well, I want to ask, and we're going to bring on our next guest in a moment, and I want to talk to both of you about our next guest in a second. But Rosemarie and Maury Amsterdam, two of the greatest comedians, comedians um, that ever walked the planet. I mean, it, I spent an evening just at a table talking with Mar Rosemarie, and one of the funniest women, I, I, I mean, I was falling off my chair. I mean, just being Rosemarie. Um, with what they brought to the table, and you talked about that, a lot of the improv that they did in those party scenes that they did when the two of them got up and did what they did. In those sections of the script, were those open-ended portions of the script allowing them to do what they did best? Or how much of that was actually, you know, this is what we want you to do and go with it? I don't know, Dave. Do you know? Yeah, I, I think there was a framework there, but you know, I I interviewed Greg Amsterdam for for the documentary, and he said, you know, his recollection was, you know, Maury does X here, and that was sort of the direction, right? So I I think there was certainly latitude afforded the performers. You know, um, you know, Bill Persky would say, you know we would put Dick in a room with three or four objects and know that he was going to do something with them. We didn't, we didn't really try to tell him what to do because we knew Dick would do it. Right. Dick's well, and his physical comedy was so. Correct. Correct. Right. So I, I think, um, so, so I think there clearly was um, some latitude there. I, I think the real answer to that, Richard, and, and maybe in the final scripts, um, it became more fleshed out and, and got put in there by the script supervisor, Marge Mullen. Right. But um, Carl's scripts have all been donated to the national comedy center in um, Jamestown, New York. Yeah. You know, Lucille yeah. Ball's birthplace. Yeah. So we, we could certainly, if we think of a particular episode where that might be true, 
it would be interesting to pull a copy of Carl's scripts and do a little investigating to, to see what we thought, you know, like particularly in the, in the pilot where uh, Dick and, and Rosemary and Maury uh, did some, did some performing. It would be interesting to see how much of that was actually written in, in Carl's first script. So. Now, yeah. both of you know, in this business, uh, they say uh, never appear with children or animals, uh, but they have this, you know, wonderful family dynamic uh, with Richie. Uh, do either of you have a favorite episode uh, include, uh, that included Richie? I Larry Matthews, the Which great Larry Matthews. Mine, mine was the Woodpecker episode. Oh. <laughs> right? um, and I, I have ever infused in my memory the picture of Larry wearing the pith helmet and sunglasses as he comes in the front door to avoid being pecked on the head by the by the Woodpecker. What about you, Douglas? I wonder if he still has that pith helmet. I don't know. <laughs> I'd, I'd have to think. I, I know there's one where he's sitting in his bathroom singing. What episode is that? Uh, he's singing a from a Broadway show. What is it? Oh, well, maybe he can tell you himself. That's Let's you ask know. Larry Matthews. Larry Matthews. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Larry. Hello, Larry. Thanks Thank for being here. Y'all. It's great to see you all. Um, boy, that's a good question, Doug. I'm not sure I remember that one actually. Um, you know, I did the, the, you know, you're the top, you're the tower pizza, you know, that's that was, the one that's, okay. yeah, that was it. It was Washington versus the bunny, I think, wasn't it, David? And we were, yes. And, yeah. And uh, I was saying that, and I think what happened was we have a picture that, that I can still have somewhere that we're, you know, I'm singing with my arms like this. And Dick and Mary just like this with their <laughs> their hands and hers because it, it was just probably not that great anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, Anne Gilbert, her line of the woodpecker having a glandular problem. <laughs> Every time she says that, I fall off my chair, and I've seen it a million times. I mean, it's just the delivery that she had uh, of this. I mean, and then that moment, and you talk about this um, of the kids coming in and you showing the neighborhood kids, I guess. Um, your uh, Dick Van Dyke, I wanted to say your dad, uh, Dick Van Dyke uh, in bed in the striped pajamas. Uh, and it was difficult for you kids to have uh, do this with a straight face. Yeah, it was. And um, and Barry Livingston was in that. Right. And um, I'm trying to think who else was in there with us. I think it was two other kids. And uh, what happened was we were we, we were, we were just, you know, it was like we had that little grin on our face, you know, and I think Carl finally came up to us and he, and he all said, he says, look, he goes, I want you to think of somebody really sick or dying when you're doing this. Okay. I want you to think of something really, really horrible. And we did. And that's what we finally pulled the scene off where it was pretty good. Now we didn't do too bad with it. Yeah. And, yeah. Do you have a favorite episode that you appeared in and then, uh, you know, a, an episode that you're not necessarily featured in that you just enjoy, you know, watching today. Well, it's funny. I mean, there's, I, I, you know, I watched the other night that they were, it was on me TV. We were talking about that earlier. You guys were, and it's on decades. And uh, it just, again, watching some of those office scenes with, with the three of them, I, as a, as I got older and really could understand the comedy. Just I, I, I laughed today, like David was saying earlier. I guess my favorite episode. I'm going to have to kind of go with David on, which is it may look like a walnut. I, I, it was such a fun episode to do on the set. It was like a fantasy type episode, and we got to just have a lot of fun with it. Um, filling the closet with walnuts and watching Mary come out of it. And, you know, when he opened the closet door, was really fun. Um, and then you know, um, the, and then there's a few. Episodes that I was particularly proud of, you know, my performance in um, that I just remember and, and were very fond of. Uh, I'm going to show another clip and then I want to talk about the players both on and off screen. Uh, here's uh, Bill Persky uh, talking about Sheldon, uh, Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon, of course, was a legend. He was just Sheldon. I mean, there, there was only one of a kind. Sheldon was so smart. Uh, and he used to sit behind me. We used to sit at 
the table, and Sam and I would sit at one end, Carl was at the other, and uh, Sheldon would sit in a director's chair behind me. And if something in the script bothered him, he'd start to breathe deeply. So I knew ahead of everybody that we were in trouble. And he would just go. And, I'm thinking, and then there was one day and he just sucked all the oxygen out of the air and it, the script was over. He said, this is a disaster. <laughs> direct from the Walnut Times. I want to let everyone know that our word of the day is curiosity. So if anyone has any curiosity about any of the episodes and you want to ask about anything, ask your questions, use the hashtag curiosity tonight. And I've got a special giveaway tonight that I'm going to uh, give to a very special uh, person tonight. So anyone want to respond uh, with anything uh, regarding Sheldon? Memories? Well, we were talking earlier about favorite episodes and there's an episode we did called never name a duck. And it was about, um, Richie and, uh, had gone to the pond with dad and we picked up these two ducks out of the pond and brought them home and they were going to be Richie's pets. They were Richie's pets. And one of them died because it was in captivity. And so they finally, Dick, Rob finally had to come to Richie and say, look, if you want, Stanley and Oliver were their names, by the way. If you want Oliver to live, we have to put him back in the pond where he belongs because that's where he thrives. And Richie Cobb obviously couldn't grasp that concept. And there was a scene where, you know, Rob had to come in and tell Richie that that's what they were going to do. And I was, you know, supposed to be crying in the scene because I was very upset about losing um, my duck. And I, I, I couldn't. At the, that age, I just didn't really know how to accomplish that. So my mom said to me, she goes, why don't you go talk to Mr. Leonard? And uh, he'll he'll help you out with that. And so I did. And I went to Mr. Leonard. And I said, I'm Mr. Leonard. I call him Sheldon. I call him Mr. Leonard. And I said, um, you know, I have to be crying. And I don't really know if I can do this. Can you help me with this? And before we went on set, he, he kneeled down in front of me and, and put his hands on my shoulders. And he told me this unbelievably heart-wrenching story about his dog who had died tragically and he was like the family you know gem and this and that and about three or four minutes I was just you know I was bawling because we're big I was a big animal man still I'm a big animal lover and mm -hmm. so I went on uh, the set and I did that scene and I think it's one of the best you know in terms of dramatic performances because we didn't have a lot to do uh, I'm very proud of that and that was really directly because of Sheldon method acting yeah. yeah, really. Method. Yeah. Wow. Uh, David, one of the segments, I'm glad that you included this uh, in this documentary. You talk about how the show ha has been uh, celebrated and remembered beyond uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. And they keep coming back uh, with remembering the show. There was an animated uh, uh, Alan Brady uh, series for a while. Uh, what are some of your, you know, as putting this documentary together, um, was this an easy documentary in terms of the gets that you got for the documentary? Or was there a holy grail that you were not able to get uh, that you regret that did not happen? Um, you know, it was particularly challenging because this all happened during COVID, right? So all, all, all the interviews were done via Zoom and recorded. Um, and when I started out, Richard, I wasn't exactly sure what direction I was going to go in. I did want to include the second generation family, the children of, of the cast, because I thought that they um, represented a, a perspective that we hadn't heard in the past. Right. And I wanted to dig deeper than the retrospectives that had been done before. So to include folks like Doug. Right. And of course, of course, Larry was there because he was a member of the cast. But to get Jerry Paris's kids and Ann Gilbert's kids and Dick's son um, and Rosemary's daughter and, and, and all of those. So um, I think as we began, began to do the interviews and you heard the comments of what people talked about, that helped formulate for me um, the direction that, 
that the documentary ultimately took, right? Um, uh, I, I worked really hard to try to get some new footage of, of Dick. The, the timing didn't work out and um, with COVID and all, all sorts of things. Fortunately, I had some, some footage from previous discussions that we had, so we could include that and his thoughts. And, and you know, when I did interviews for my publication for the, for the Walnut Times, I always recorded those interviews. So I went back and started to digitize interviews that I did 25 years ago with guys like Sheldon Leonard, right, and, and others, and sort of relived um, many of those discussions that I had had and, and began to hear, you know, John Rich tell about certain scenes that they did and, and how he did it. So um, it was great fun for me and a treasure trove of information that I could really share with, with fans of the show, right? Um, I, I particularly uh, was appreciative to Paul Reiser, who jo joined us to reminisce about his idea for bringing Alan Brady back. You know, he invited Carl to come back to Mad About You, and Carl said, you know, I don't want to do it. And he said, well, I don't want you, Carl. I want Alan Brady, right? And that intrigued <laughs> Carl, right? Carl, Carl decided he, you know, he would do that. So, um, so I think, um, you, you know, that that was a nice addition, a nice perspective. Some, you know, thirty years after the show, um, and you know, the other thing, and and we could talk about this now or or delay a little bit was um, the highlight for me was. Um, getting Broadway performer Gavin Lee to contribute. Um, so, um, you know, as we talked earlier, musical performance numbers on the Dick Van Dyke show were some of the highlights. Mm -hmm. uh, Dick, Dick performed a, a song at Richie's birthday party about being a clown now. So here's the tie-in. It was Richie's birthday party. And Doug's dad and a partner wrote when the circus comes to town, right? Um, so I was able to acquire Earl Hagen's original background orchestration that he wrote at the time. And we recreated that orchestration again during COVID. So players played all over the world and sent in their parts. And, and we did that. And then I got in touch with Gavin Lee, who had met Dick through his association of being Bert in Disney's stage show and Broadway show of Mary Poppins. Uh, and Gavin graciously you know, did a song and dance number as a, as a tip of the hat to Dick. So if, if folks haven't seen that, that that's tr truly something they should go and at least pull that out and, and have a look at that. So my, my thanks to Gavin for that. If memory serves me, I think dad used to sing me that song. When we lived here in New York, we didn't move to California until 1961, but I think I remember sitting on his knee. So it was in his head. He loved writing songs. He always wanted to be a songwriter. So I think, you know, I think the, the, like the copyright is from the fifties, Doug. Right. So I yeah. think you're right. And, and the other thing, Richard is um, while Bill Persky, Bill Persky is speaking in the documentary behind him, you hear the song being played on the piano and Doug found that in his archives. Why don't you tell the story about your Doug, your dad coming to visit and playing Doug? Yeah, well, I had a I had a Yamaha piano that had a recording device on it. So the 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 under the keys were little switches. So he came and played this piano and it actually duplicated him playing the piano. You could play it back on this piano. I sold the piano a long time ago, but I still have the floppy disks. They're three and a half. I'm looking for the disc right now. Three and a half inch floppy disks. I got to um, jump in real quick and say, um, it, for you who haven't seen the documentary, it's, it's, I mean, I remember that show vividly because it was Richie's birthday party. Yeah. And, and, and Doug and I have talked about this, I think. And, um, and when I watched the documentary and watched um, Gavin do that song, I must say it brought a bit of a tear to my eye just to bring back that memory. It's amazing. Yeah. And think about and think about Sam as well, who I was very close with Sam and, and Douglas knows this. We were he was such a special man. I, I can't even tell you. Oh, you didn't have to show him your report card, kiddo. Yes, he was. But anyway, I, I found a piece of software that would 
it's a MIDI for those of you who are into electronic mm -hmm. music. So I don't have the a sound recording of dad playing the piano, but it took that floppy disc and like a player piano reproduced it. And so it was actually hearing my dad playing and pausing. And I remember did it was really emotional to hear him do that because he's been gone now 11 years. Mm. And uh, it was really great to find that and to be able to have that fit into David's. Yeah. I, Doug sent it to me and played it. And my first thought was, Oh my gosh, this has, this has to go into the documentary. It's just, there are many little subtle things, Richard, in the documentary that, um, true fans will appreciate. I don't know that the general Dick Van Dyke fan will do it, but at, at the very beginning of the documentary, um, I, I'm holding the pitcher of air, which is the actual prop of the walnut mm -hmm. pitcher, right? So yeah. I, there's no mention to it. And somebody probably looking at it thinks, what the hell is he doing with that pitcher? But fans of the show know exactly what I'm doing there, right? Well, and the way, the way Larry got the, the poster... I inherited my dad's passion for saving stuff, much to the dismay of several girlfriends in my life <laughs> over the years. But uh, he saved, and I think Richard may have them, um, three iconic paintings that were painted by um, uh, Glenn Ross, right? Ken Reed, probably. Ken Reed, the art director for the series. The first two function as one painting. Um, uh, an episode called The Masterpiece, where Rob is at Rob and Sally and Buddy and Laura are at, a, at an art gallery auction researching for a show. And Rob is gesturing and accidentally bidding on these things. And one of them is actually a, a, an object called The Thing. But the other thing he ends up with is a, a painting of a clown. And it is mm -hmm. signed by Artanis. And in the storyline of the of the episode, we find out what was true is that Frank Sinatra, Sinatra is Artanis spelled backwards. And Frank Sinatra actually was a painter, uh, as are a lot of people like Tony Bennett. And he liked to play clown paintings. And the storyline is Dick feels like there's another painting underneath. And so the second painting Ken Reed made with the center, and it's the American Gothic painting of the very there we go so good job richard yes. so i have these paintings and they're about three feet high and two feet wide and these are the original paintings from that episode and i think they need to be eventually in the smithsonian or an nft and then the other one i have which i didn't send to uh to um richard but i, I can say is the episode called um uh October Eve, where Laura has been painted long before she and Rob met. Um, and the painter, a bohemian in the Greenwich Village named Serge Karpetna, played by Carl Reiner, um, elected to take the artistic license and paint Laura in the nude, which <laughs> terrifies her. And they decide they want to buy the painting back. And there's a, a, several scenes in Karpetna's um, atelier uh, in the village. And in the final scene, he's painting on a canvas with a spray gun filled with paint. And he gives Rob one. And as the scene fades, they're both spritzing on this painting, which is about 30 by 40 inches. And Dad saved that, too. And it's signed by Dick Van Dyke and by Carl Reiner. Awesome. So um, these little relics. Now you have another relic that you. I love that music box that you shared before. Oh, I think I think David has one too. They gave the cast, and Larry, you probably know or Dave the story, but um, these were little music boxes, and if you open it up, I think I've got it queued up. Wow. And in there, I have a pack of CBS matches with caricatures. Oops. Wow. Now, I'm going to bring up another piece of art, and this is beautiful. So it's a great photograph, but look at this. Oh. 
Yeah, You're still a snappy dresser, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's probably, yeah. We, when we did the Revisited show in 2004, um, a friend of mine who um, is, in, is a Hollywood uh, historian and, and et cetera, she said, you've got to recreate that picture. So Dick and Mary and I recreated that picture, what, 40-something, 40 44, five years later, something like that, whatever it was. And um, so I have one of each of them. But that, that is probably one of my favorite pictures of the three of us together. Now, you mentioned in the documentary that she was more like a, an older sister to you. Mary, in, yeah, it's both sister and mom in a lot of ways. It was, I mean, both. Mm -hmm. uh, Rosemary and I were very, very close. And I think we talked about this. I, I don't know if I talked about it in the documentary or not, but because of our Italian heritage and our background, but our families became very close with each other. And Rose was really kind of like that um, aunt, aunt kind of Rose to me. Right. And she was awesome. But Mary was, it was interesting. She was like a sister and a mother together because she wasn't that much older than, you know, than, I mean, she was fairly young at the time. Um, and I have sisters who are, you know, you know, we're, we're not, we're close to her age. Um, and so it was kind of like I had that relationship, but Mary also would do such wonderful things, uh, when we were, you know, doing our filming and she would come up to me and if there was something she was, she just felt like, you know, you, you know, maybe try this a little bit and try that. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about with everybody kind of contributing, and Mary would do that to me, and it was very special because I would listen to her as a, a mother figure at that point, and try and relate that onto this onto our into the screen when we were shooting our scenes. and And she was wonderful. and um, And um, yeah, there's a documentary there that they're they're doing on her life as well, which um, yeah, I'll be. I, I did a big interview for, and it was it was wonderful. And you know, I know that they were worried that uh, they were worried. You know, her husband um, is worried that Mary won't have a legacy. And I said, no, you, Mary already has a legacy. There's nothing, you have to be worried about anything, man. This is one of the greatest iconic individuals will, which will live on way past all of us. And trust me. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of documentary, we should mention everybody wait for your laugh, which is the documentary about Rose Marie's life. Yeah. She was performing when she was younger than you, Larry, right? She started at age three, I think. Three, yeah. From yeah. The radio. Yes. And I'll tell you, if, if you want to hear some great, and that's a whole different thing, David has heard him, Doug's probably heard him too, but you sit and talk to, to Rose and she'll tell you stories of, of her past and growing up to the business that you're just, your eyes just do this and you go like, oh my God, what a great story. And you did what? I mean, you know. Well, my favorite is her dancing as a little girl uh, at Al Capone's birthday party. Well, I was going to say Bugsy Siegel and Al Capone, yes. right. I mean, that was all that history was there. It was kind of crazy, but it was good. So. Uh, amazing. Uh, a couple of comments here. Um, someone was asking uh, if uh, That's My Boy uh, received any backlash at the time that it originally aired. I don't think so. I think, isn't it true? I mean, the biggest concern, CBS and the sponsors were concerned that the audience would be laughing at Greg Morris, who's a black actor, um, and... Carl properly and correctly assured them that they would be laughing at Rob for being such a dimwit right. to think that a hospital could switch babies in the first place. Good. And maybe you should explain the episode, which, uh, by the way, was Dad and Billy's first and spec script. This was an idea they had, and they wrote this, and it needed a little polishing from Carl. And this became... Probably one of the most famous um, show, you know, shows we ever did, really. I mean, uh, groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking, literally, at the time. And, you know, for, for Bill and, 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 you know, Sam to write that is, was extremely forward-thinking, in my opinion. It was, like, crazy good. Yeah, and Bill explained that they were so discouraged, he and Sam, that they had just – they were almost on the precipice that day – of saying, you know, we can't do this anymore. We're not, we're not having success and we're, it's not going well. Right. And the phone rang and it was Carl saying, I want to talk to you about this script. And there it was. Right. Yeah. Cause they, they had written, they had come out to write for the Steve Allen show. Thanks to comedian Bill Dana, who was the head writer. And then they wrote for a few television specials. They wrote Julie Andrews for a special and Cosby's for a special. And then the Andy Williams show and then I think they wrote a couple of Joey Bishop episodes and really everybody, of course, wanted to write for the Dick Van Dyke show. So 
it, it ended up working. Yeah, the episode is basically that Rob and Laura have just bought baby Richie home from the hospital, mm -hmm. and Rob, being a crazy father, is convinced that they brought the wrong baby home. They brought somebody <laughs> yes. else's baby home. And, of course, Laura goes along with it with great humor until the final scene where, because the other couple who baby they think they have is named Peters. So right. he figures, obvious, Petri, Peters, Petri, Peters. She said, Rob, why does Richie have a black foot? Well, I tried to get, you know, a footprint. Out of a series of tests. <laughs> but the thing, too, but is that the, the, the reason that, that, you know, Rob was so crazy is because they had each gotten flowers and the flowers had got switched up at the hospital. Right. So Petri got Peters and Peters got Petri. And that's why Rob got this crazy idea that they switched our baby because he doesn't look like us at all. I mean, it was a, it was a great script. Well, and then in the finale, they ins Rob insists that the Peters come over to their house. And so you see a master shot of the Petri living room and the doorbell rings and Laura says, I'll get you. Laura, stay there. And he is going to, take control and open the door and he opens the door and his face drops and in walks a black couple, the man played by Greg Morris, who we all know also from Mission Impossible. Yes. And uh, it was the longest laugh in the history of three camera sitcom yeah, films ever. Of, yeah. It went on for like eight or nine minutes in the in the studio and they had to cut it for the yeah. broadcast. And I know there was the controversy about the priest drinking the beer that they changed that scene to coffee. Was that the what was the most controversial episode of all of the episodes? I mean, David could probably speak to this. He's researching more. I mean, I there was a you know it was little things throughout the whole you know run of the show really. Standards and practice were you know another you know entity at that time. I mean, they made a big deal out of Lori uh, Mary wearing capri pants. Right. They were concerned about the cupping. No yeah. cupping. They made that for the cupping, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's why they slept in separate beds because that was another deal that they would, God forbid, some a, a married couple who had a ch child already would be in a, the same bed together. It's like, what? It was just so you do prove that, Larry, that the stork exists. Yes. I <laughs> well, and I think that the rule was also that um, if if they had been in the same bed, one of the people had to have their foot on the floor right. during the scene. Right. And going back to I Love Lucy, you couldn't say pregnant. You had to say infanticipating. <laughs> it, was, it was silly. It just that, and we would run into it in a lot of shows over the, the course of the, of the year that, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, there's this, I think was a Carl thing actually, but it's funny. There's another great story of, uh, it's not great, but, we were rehearsing a show um, and um, it was a Christmas show we did where we were all in, took part in the Christmas show. And that's when John F. Kennedy was shot. And we were all on stage when JFK was shot, listening to it. And it was just, you know, Carl came in and said, we're done. Everybody go home. You know, our president's been shot, blah, blah, blah. Well, in the a number that Dick and Mary do, which is, I think that I had everything if I had you, um, there was a lyric that said uh, they went, um, you got a face like Louis Armstrong, you got a voice like Louis Armstrong and you act like John Wilkes Booth. And they changed that lyric before that episode aired because of, of Kennedy's assassination. Wow. They, they said, and your actions are uncouth instead of John Wilkes Booth. They want to reference that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. wow. You know, one, one thing that um, Andrea Burchard, Sheldon's daughter, shared which was, you know, and we've, we've sort of all talked about it in certain ways, right? You, ha you had this issue of the, the couple, the, the black couple and their baby, right? We had the episode of a show of hands where Rob and Laura accidentally, you know, um, dye their hands black and they have to go up here at sort of like an NAACP right. event and whatever. Um, so the revelation or the, the, the remembrance that Andrea had about her dad, Sheldon, was even back then, Sheldon was very conscious of, um, you know, fairness and, and rights and, and things, right? Sheldon would hire um, writers that had been blacklisted, right? And they would change their name and they would get a, a credit, right? But, you know, 
even back then in the early 60s, you know, before the Civil Rights Amendment passed, right? This is 1961, uh, where that was passed in, in the mid 60s, right? Um, was, she said, my dad was a good man, right? He, he really was considerate of others and did all that he could to foster the, the, the spirit of oneness amongst humanity, right? And I think that that's remarkable when you consider that was 60 some years ago and, and the presence of, of Sheldon and, and the thoughts that they had and, and the storylines that, that Carl wrote and, and Sam and Bill wrote, right? There is, there is some um, commentary there, maybe not as overt as it could have been because of the times, but it, it's certainly there. Um, and it continues to hold up and really does still have a message for now us even, all these years later. Even in support of needy bald people. Correct. Yes. You're right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Here, here's the Coast to Coast Big Mouth Emmy Award. Friday, Friday is National Ball Day. So if you both want to come back on the show, I'd love to have you back. Uh, so uh, I've got one last question from uh, Rick Carl, who's watching. And he says, can someone discuss how Rosemary was coaxed back to doing the show uh, by director John Rich after her beloved husband passed? Uh, apparently she decided that she just couldn't continue on. Um, and I'm going to bring uh, on the word uh, curiosity. Uh, last chance to uh, uh, respond with this. And uh, if any of you want to respond to this question. David, Larry, you, want, you want to tell that story or I can tell it? I, I can tell it because Rosemary has, has told it. And David, she's told David too. But her husband, who was very close, they were extremely close. And Bobby was a wonderful man as well. Um, just a genuine, true human being. He was a musician and um, he passed suddenly. And, um, you know, Rosemary just felt she couldn't go on with the show. It was like she was, she didn't want to go. So she went to Carl and she said, look, I'm leaving the show. And Carl, you know, did the best he could to try to get her to stay. But, he, you know, she just, no, my mind's made up. And John Rich and her were very close. They were very close friends. So John went out to their house and literally stayed up with her all night long until literally the, the sun came up, telling her all the reasons why she should continue to do the show in honor of her husband and in honor of everything that he stood for, along with the fact that she belongs on that show. And, and that was really what she, you know, made her decision to stay. And then we had the next, what, three, three years, three more seasons after that. And of course, her husband can be heard on the uh opening credits of the uh, music uh, so uh very important thank you all for being here don't go anywhere for a moment uh we're going to do a giveaway and this is how it works uh thank you all for being here tonight uh so i have no control over who our winner is uh and we'll see uh liam fallows do any uh, of you know liam i do know liam yes so liam thank you for being here tonight uh, Liam, my email address, write this down, is richard at richardskipper.com. Again, that's richard at richardskipper.com. Send me an email and I will uh, get your uh, prize package out. So uh, I'm going to remove this. Uh, Does it include walnuts? Uh, it includes walnuts. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. I may include walnuts. I'm going to throw that in, Doug. Thank you. <laughs> Let me just tell you quickly, Liam is a 23-year-old film student in Chicago who's greatly influenced by the Dick Van Dyke show and is, is trying to write, um, trying to get into the business and would like to see if we can't restore some of Carl's and Sam's and Bill's approach to sitcom writing. So I, I'm sure he'll be thrilled with your package tonight. Well, Liam, uh, come on the show. We'll talk about it. I'd love to have you come on and talk yourself. Um, first of all, I want to say David reached out to me. How long ago was it that you reached out to me, David? Oh, probably a couple months ago, maybe a, a little more. Ago, right? And he proposed this idea tonight. And uh, and we picked tonight because of this being the actual anniversary. Uh, and uh, Larry and Doug uh, both agreed uh, to come on tonight. So thank you, David. Thank you for this great idea tonight. It's well, one of my favorite shows. Uh, yes. And it's all worked together. So thank you for that. Uh, David, thank you for all the work that you've done. Uh, I stand with Carl on that. Uh, that you have kept this legacy going and you continue to do so. The documentary is great. Everyone go and see it on YouTube. Uh, I'm gonna say a few words. Wait, can, I just, can I just say one quick thing? Yes. 
David and I have been talking. I haven't had a chance to talk to Larry. I still believe that we need a Dick Van Dyke show museum in the city of New Rochelle. As beautiful as Jamestown is, it's a hike up there. And they do a great job up there. But I would like to see this happen. And I have uh, met with Mayor Noam Bramson and uh, some of the people there. It's an easy commute from New York City. It's great for tourism. If everybody believes that this is a good idea, let Richard know. He'll share it with me. We'll keep you all involved in all of this. And if anybody wants to donate, you know, five or $10 million, we'll easily make it happen. But all of the memorabilia, all of the thing, we want to recreate the soundstage and put it there so everybody can continue to appreciate and, you know, learn from the writing and have this all be a place where future budding sitcom writers can learn how to make a show that lasts for 60 years in people's minds. And now that you mentioned that, I'm going to give a shameless plug here for everyone who's watching tonight. Uh, this Saturday in Nyack, uh, just near where I live, the home of Helen Hayes uh, and Charles MacArthur, um, we are having dedicated as a dual literary landmark. Oh, uh, he wrote Wuthering Heights uh, there. He wrote uh, the, skin of, uh, the, uh, sin, the Skin the Skin of Madeline Claudette. Uh, and uh, uh, he wrote the front page uh, with Ben Hecht. They used to go around the corner to a local pub and uh, hash it out there. Uh, Helen Hayes wrote four incredible books there. Um, for two years, uh, we, I've been working uh, with Joyce Bullifant and other uh, members of the family to make this happen. And it's happening this weekend on Saturday. Uh, at uh, at the home of Helen Hayes, and you can purchase tickets and come if you're available. Uh, so, Doug, it can happen. Uh, so, uh, anything that I can do to get on board with this, yep. I'm there for you because it, you know we made it happen. But, so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have my final uh, comments. Then I'm going to turn it over to you, Doug. Then Larry and David. Since you spearheaded this, you will have the final word tonight. Uh, each of you can uh, talk about anything that we talked about tonight that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you want to put out to anyone who's watching the show tonight. Uh, I thank you all for being here. Uh, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the first name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. Uh, when someone passes away, we see this outpouring of love. And I always say, wouldn't that be a, have been nice if they could have seen that a month ago? And I think it's important that we take the time. We can't do that with everybody. But if you pick one person to do that with each day and let them know that they matter. Uh, I have a dear friend, Sean Moniger. And he always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. You never know what someone else is going through right now. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So I'm going to end the show by asking everyone, if this is your first time here, uh, please leave a comment on YouTube after tonight's show. Share this with your friends. Let other people know about this. And just please pay it forward. And with that, I'm going to leave the screen. And Doug, you have it. And at the very end, uh, David, when you say goodbye, the credits will roll. Thank you all for being here tonight. Dave, sure. Douglas, it's all yours. Thank you, my friend. This has been really wonderful. Uh, you made a big difference with our friend Leslie Ann Warren and Cinderella. And the Dick Van Dyke show is one of those iconic things that we all love. And I think the most important thing for me and for anyone who still watches it, is it all started with great writing, not just my dad, but there were dozens of great writers, including Gary Marshall and Gary Belson and Rick Middleman. And, you know, they wrote about what they love. And I think that's never going to go out of style. So kudos to Carl for making that happen up there. My uncle Carl and uh, over to you, Larry, my friend. And I hope to see you soon. I do too. Thanks, Doug. It was great to see you. And, you know, I, I think that as, you know, the last one of the last two surviving cast members, um, you know, it's just such a special thing to me. It was a it was a gift. I was blessed to be able to be part of it and and grow up with some of the most talented and amazing people in the world ever. And um, I, I agree with um, 
uh, Richard thanking um, David for keeping it going and keeping it, Carl and keeping it going and going. And I just can't say how, how proud I was of that and that um, please keep watching. And, and I love to hear about the young people who get into the show, like the gentleman who just won, who's a writer. And, and I just, that makes me feel so good. And, 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 response to Richard's thing, I, you know, I was lucky enough to say, to, to tell Rosemary and Mary before they died that we loved each other and have that closure with the two of them. Don't let that pass by. I agree with him. It's a wonderful thing. And, um, and just, you know, again, thanks for everybody's support and, uh, you know, take it away, David. Well, Richard, thank you for hosting this wonderful event tonight. And thanks to Doug and Larry for also joining. It's, it's always nice that we can, you know, get together in a, in a positive way to talk about things that have been a positive influence in each of our lives. I'm particularly blessed that Carl welcomed me into the Dick Van Dyke Show family, and I got to know um, the cast members and, and the crew members and the kids so well. It has just um, been a true pleasure for me to be able to share my passion or my favorite television show with so many. And I encourage um, folks to share it with, you know, our new generation and, and those generations to come. And fortunately we have the technology to keep those things alive. So um, th thank you uh, again for hosting. Please go out and enjoy the documentary, consider a donation to St. Jude's. Um, and my final thought is, uh, Please keep your sense of humor and your thumbs up. Good night. Thank you.